0: Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Erin Peterson, partner and Global Talent Acquisition Consultant with People Results. In each episode, Erin interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. If you've listened to earlier
1: episodes of this podcast, you know I typically interview global talent acquisition leaders at the top of their game, doing interesting and innovative things in TA with technology, process, org structure, RPO, you get the picture. And I proceed to ask them all kinds of things about the intersection of their personal and professional life. Today, I'm jumping swim lanes over to a different kind of leader, Gretchen Carlson, the unintentional but worthy leader of the Me Too movement. Gretchen was the keynote speaker at the Spring ERE Recruiting Conference, and because I'm bold like that, I reached out to her publicist to ask if I could add a quick podcast interview to her schedule directly after her speech. Of course, I expected to be told no, that she's too busy, but to my surprise, within 24 hours, it was confirmed. Gretchen is energetic, passionate, substantive, and so gracious. It was a privilege to interview her and I hope this bonus episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool touches your heart the way it did mine. Enjoy. So Gretchen, thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time after your keynote and before they whisk you away to the airport to create this bonus episode for my podcast listeners. This is especially fun for me because while Gretchen and I have never met before, we share some cultural DNA, both Minnesota girls Grew up around the same time in the same area, both with Swedish and Lutheran roots, and while neither of us live there anymore, I'm guessing you still consider Minnesota home.
2: Am I right? Of course. Of course. You betcha.
1: <laughs> you bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's jump in. Gretchen, you have an amazing list of accomplishments. You're a concert viol- violinist, Miss Minnesota, Miss America, a Stanford graduate, an accomplished journalist and TV host, author of two books, and... Only one TED Talk,
2: right? I don't. Right.
1: I, I don't know if I two, can, but, I don't
2: know if I ever could do another one, but yes, one. Yeah,
1: they're pretty intense, aren't they? <laughs> yes. And uh, of course, for good reason, because we all love watching them. You're a wife to Casey and a mom to Christian and Kaya, mm-hmm. which you talk about being your most important role. And as a mom myself, I can definitely affirm that. Yes and in 2016 you your words jumped off a cliff all by yourself by blowing the whistle on Roger Ailes for sexual harassment starting an avalanche of similar accusations and a cultural movement Thank you. It, it it is stunning it's stunning what has happened mm-hmm. because as a woman in business for the amount of time that you've also been in business I haven't ever seen it uh, actually take hold when someone has brought this issue to the fore. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an opportunity here. And in fact, again, quoting from your book, Be Fierce, you feel that you've created a meaningful fight for women's rights in our time. Mm -hmm. Did you ever imagine that that last sentence would be part of your legacy? And how do you feel about that?
2: Well, I've always been a supporter of women, forever. I mean I had a really strong mom mm-hmm. and grandmothers and they really inspired me to be the best that I could be and my mom told me that every single night. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course she would say now God has given you a lot of talents and he expects you to make the most of them. Right, of <laughs> in, in other words, work really hard. The <laughs> Protestant work ethic. Of course. But you know, I really I really latched onto that. Um, so I've always been a supporter of of women being the best that they can be and I pushed myself to the nth degree and my I guess my life and my resume shows that. Um, with regard to this issue, uh, did I ever think I was going to be the face of it? Absolutely not. You know, my life has worked in mysterious ways. And mm-hmm. the one constant has been that whatever challenge is in front of me, I go for it. Right. So as I said in the speech, I could have gone home after my case broke and just never been heard from ever again. Mm-hmm. But instead um, I felt a call of duty to respond to all the women who reached out to me because they were the, they were voiceless and I was their voice. And I felt um, I felt a calling to try and make a difference. And The problem is that solving this issue is not just one solution. It's a tangled web of many things. So uh, I've spent the last 20 months really working on it from so many different facets.
1: I can imagine it feels like... Uh, a, a hornet's nest or whatever because there's the political side of things there's a legal side of things there's the emotional the mental the physical
2: mm-hmm. all so, that and the way we raise our kids yeah. and um you know the the role of men in corporate culture to help us yeah um you know it's uh, uh, and and schools and institutions that that right. also cover it up You know, so I could spend probably every waking moment for the rest of my life, and, you know, still it wouldn't possibly, you know, solve absolutely every aspect of it. Mm. But I'm doing my best to change the laws and to encourage people to parent with gender equality um, and to encourage men to come forward. I know it takes the same amount of courage almost as as the victim. Sometimes it's a man, but predominantly women to come forward. Um, But I really believe that'll be the final part of the tipping point, when we actually have men stop being bystanders and enablers and hire more women and put them in higher positions and pay them fairly and I mean all those things. I have great hope though for the Millennials because I actually think that they look at things a little bit differently than our generation where they really like to work together and see a common good come out of it Mm -hmm. and so I have challenged them to take on this issue and um, that's why I did a college campus with my book tour because Uh I thought it was so important to get to the young people and what's been so wonderful is that there have been just as many young men as young women in the audience so wow. it says to me that they actually care Okay. and what kind of response did you get on the college campus? Um, good and great great questions I've also spoken at all boys schools oh. which is actually where I should be spending most of my time uh-huh. and uh, I, you could hear a pin drop, and I thought, well, I wonder if they're going to actually ask me any questions <laughs> after this. And they asked so many intuitive and smart questions that we actually had to cut it off because they had to go back to class. Uh-huh. But um, it was very it – was, it was enlightening for me because it was a whole different kind of a message to them. And, uh, and my, uh, the, the advisors and teachers emailed me afterwards and said that they had many discussions about it for days after that. Okay. So I hope it had an impact. That
1: is encouraging mm-hmm. indeed. Okay, so in Be Fierce and in the TED Talk, you give an account of several incidences of sexual harassment that you personally suffered, mm-hmm. including the lunge in the back of the taxi after dinner with a TV exec, mm-hmm. and worse. That must have been terrifying, Gretchen, mm-hmm. and nobody ever prepares us for that. No,
2: I was 22 years old, and uh, you know, I wasn't really working, per se, at a job, so who was I going to go complain to? Nobody would have believed me. I mean, this was 30 years ago. Right. We're barely starting to believe women now. Right. So, you know, I really just, um, I, took it all, I took it all in and I pushed it all down. And that's what women are really good at. And, um, you know, it took me 26 years to actually call two of those experiences assault. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing the book, uh, another woman who I was interviewing said, well, you realize that was assault, right? And I was like, no. She was like, yeah, when somebody stuffs your head into their yeah. crotch and you can't breathe, right. that's assault. Right. And so, even though I was in the middle of my own movement, I hadn't called it the correct terminology. So,
1: did that help you? It did. To address oh
2: gosh, it really, it really—you know—it's emotional every time I speak. You know, I would think that after I've done this so many times that I wouldn't be emotional, but I think it—it it goes to—it goes to the point of how difficult it is for for women to come forward, right. and um, you know, and how we're left to feel when when we do. Right. That's why I really believe this cultural revolution is an enigma, because usually cultural change takes a long time Mm -hmm. and the idea that we're seeing such such swift change in twenty one months of time uh, signifies to me three things the american public really cares about this issue Mm -hmm. number two the media continues to cover it and those two are connected and number three social media has has done everything to help this movement as much as i hate it for my kids Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. done everything to keep this movement alive and help people feel comfortable coming forward anonymously or not. So those three things, I think, is what has helped this movement and, and revolution happen so much more quickly than other ones in the past. Okay. So you're kind of answering my next question,
1: which is you have a daughter. I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. How do we prepare our daughters until things change for good? hmm and yet you're saying we actually have some support now
2: because the culture is changing social right. media and the, the regular well, media so so one of my favorite quotes that happens to be anonymous is one woman can make a difference but together we rock the world mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing happening right now mm-hmm. so my advice to to young women is to decide early on when you go into the workplace that, that you're gonna band together because mm-hmm. if only one person continues to speak up we're not gonna make change right. but if we all decide that that we're, we're going to do it together Um, So go see your your HR representatives and say that you don't like arbitration clauses in your employment contracts. Mm -hmm. Go um, request to have open dialogue and meetings with them about, you know, different aspects of training that's going on within your company. Mm -hmm. Um, Ask for bystander training instead of only harassment training. Um, Really the tone of the culture is set from the top down, too, so it matters who's in charge. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing I can say to you today is not what we prepare our daughters for. It's how we teach our sons. So I have always said that I have been a working mom more for my son than for my daughter. Because I want him, when he gets in the real world, to respect his female colleagues in the same way in which he has looked at his mom going to work every day. And that, to me, is the essential piece of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, how do we educate and rear our sons to, instead of manning up, speak up on behalf of of women in society that to me is what being a real man is all about right. but that's not the way we socialize our boys that's right. so we have a tremendous amount of work to do in that area and uh, you know there's tons of organizations out there empowering young girls but we really should be spending our time and money on empowering men to be good to girls Wow, mm-hmm. I I feel like we could end there,
1: but mm-hmm. I don't want to because I have more questions. Okay, so <laughs> if if you'll indulge me, let's keep going just a little a little further. Um, so you would call yourself a conservative thinker, am I right about that? Nope. I've okay. been a
2: registered independent my whole life. Independent. Yeah. Okay. I see things from from both, from both sides, sides, which I'm a, a, again, I'm an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. Cuz we live in hyper partisan times. Yeah. But um, yeah, some issues I would see from one point of view and many other issues I'd see from the other. Okay. So, I actually we, believe we need an independent party in our country and um, yeah. have been asked to run for office, but as it currently stands, I don't feel like I want to align myself with one party or the other. Right.
1: Right. And and that third party thing is a discussion as well, perhaps, oh, yeah. uh, you know, later on. But Yeah. Um, my, my, I guess my question around that is and the divided politics that we are living with right now is, is you, you know, I'm not sure it's worse than we've ever seen it but it's, it's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder to myself what it will really take for us to all come together around this issue. You've been spending some time on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. working with legislators. Tell me what kind of responses you're getting from both sides.
2: Well on this issue. There's really no reason why we shouldn't come together on it because sexual harassment is apolitical. Mm -hmm. We've seen cases from Democrats and Republicans, and we've watched people of power from both sides fall down in a big way. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I've said to members of Congress when I meet with them is just that. And you know what happens is they all immediately want to tell me all the stories about harassment with their wives, their sisters, their moms, their children. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, yeah, and do you want to help end that? Right. So if we can come to an agreement that it's apolitical, that's that's the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what's really frustrating to me is watching in politics how people pick sides depending on what party they're in. And so they believe some women, but they don't believe the others, which is really disingenuous. Yeah. Um, so I think if we could come together and just realize that this issue is is something that we need to solve together, it would be a huge step. Now, I was successful in introducing legislation in December, bipartisan legislation in the House and the Senate, to give women and men a choice about whether or not they want arbitration clauses, which makes their cases secret, mm-hmm. or if they want to be able to go to an open court system. I don't know why anyone would really be against that. It is our Seventh Amendment right, according to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So now we have to work hard to pass it, and then we have to get the president to sign it. Right. But I have a strategy for that, too. I'm not going to share. share it. Oh no, oh. why would I okay. share that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of secrets, that yeah. is a secret strategy and I'm okay. not under an arbitration clause so I can tell you <laughs> that it is secret and I'm not going to tell you what it is until it happens. Alright, well we'll be
1: anxious to see it <laughs> unfold as it does unfold Thank and you. with you all the way for sure. Thanks. So Gretchen, my audience is primarily HR and recruiting leaders. In the mm-hmm. book you give more than one example where HR has been less than helpful mm-hmm. to women who are bold enough to speak up about their harassment. What's your key message for HR leaders and the thing you really want them to know and remember?
2: Well, first of all, that I've heard from a lot of great people who work in HR. Mm -hmm. So this is not a lambasting of the entire career choice. But you know, I do feel like there's an inherent conflict of interest with regard to people coming to complain specifically about harassment to HR, because you have to remember about who's signing your paycheck. And in many cases, it, the perpetrator is the boss. Right. And so who are the HR executives going to ultimately be beholden to? Mm-hmm. Um, but but aside from that, it's a much broader sort of feeling within our corporate culture that we protect the harasser and we malign the victim. Mm-hmm. And that's not just HR's fault, but that is the, that's the environment that we're in and hopefully changing um, in little bits and ways. Mm-hmm. But what I found out is that it's not just people who make a lot of money for companies that companies protect, it's even low-level employees, which says something about our culture. Yeah. And that's why I was advocating in my speech, if you see something, say something. Imagine if we took the 9-11 mantra mm-hmm. and we applied that to the workplace. Yes. So I would really love to see HR executives um, become more open and have these group settings with their employees, mm-hmm. um, let them know that the buck stops with them and that you're safe. To come and speak to them, and then I would urge companies to expand the horizon of who people can go to complain to, because as I shared in my speech, one woman who reached out to me, the the HR person was having an affair with her harasser. Right. So how fair is that? Yeah. So there there's much work to do. Um, And the ombudsman idea? Yeah, the ombudsman is a a great idea. The EEOC actually put that forward, but I wholeheartedly agree with it because Mm -hmm. that is an independent contractor, somebody who would not be biased, that people would feel safer going to. Um, So there are a plethora of ideas in my book that I offer. um, And my hope right now is that companies are doing a lot of introspection. And in this Me Too era or Be Fierce movement, they're saying, you know, there's laws on the books, but that's not really doing the trick. Mm-hmm. so what can we do to be responsible corporate partners to our employees right. and I hope that's happening I hope there's a lot of conversation going on mm-hmm. uh, because I don't think this movement's gonna go away so I think to it. continue to no nor should it but I think to continue mm-hmm. to have a good reputation companies need to take this very seriously right.
1: and actually fix something before it happens as opposed to deal with it on the back end
2: of which course. no HR professional wants to right, right? They, and that has everything to do with the kind of training that you're providing flip it around to bystander training. <laughs> right. So Gretchen,
1: you were raised in the church as I was. Mm-hmm. What role has faith played in your career, especially recently?
2: Ah, well everything. My grandfather was a minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned my perseverance from him. He was the only one in his family to go past seventh grade. And he um, increased our church size from 850 people to 8,500. Oh, making it the second largest Lutheran church in America. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, I really learned hard work from him and never giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, faith has been the cornerstone of my life and uh, it's something, it's the only thing I think in my life that I don't question. Okay. And I don't really know why but I don't so I sleep really well at night not thinking at least about that part. Yeah. <laughs> not right. about anything else because I yeah. worry about everything else. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just something that's been with me um, for my whole life and I'm, I feel it's my responsibility to pass it along to my children as well and then it will be their choice but it's been the rock and foundation of my life in my darkest moments and my happiest times. No doubt.
1: I know you said in the book uh, when the day after things broke, there was a, a wedding coming up the following weekend, so your husband took the kids and you were alone and you were reading all of the responses that were coming to you and you cried and prayed and thought a lot about what was happening. What was that really like? Did you feel all alone or did you feel comforted? What, or somewhere in between?
2: Oh, definitely. Uh Alone, scared, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah, I I obviously didn't sleep those nights. Um, but, you know, I guess if there was one thing that was with me, it was my faith. Yeah. So you're never truly alone, mm-hmm. although I wouldn't wish those first couple of days on anybody. No doubt. Yeah, I had no idea and what you, was going to
1: happen. So. And you made it through that week and then went to the wedding. And I love <laughs> the t- travel story, oh, yeah. talking about how you're normally organized, but you're sort of out of
0: sorts. Very much
2: so. That's understandable, mm-hmm. considering what you Until the flight through. attendant took my hand when I went into the plane and had tears in her eyes, yeah. and she said, thank you. And that was the first indication to me that things might turn out okay. And that you have really touched something deeply mm-hmm. in so many people who needed a voice. Yeah, well, I've heard from a lot of flight attendants since. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Every single time I get on a plane, uh-huh. um, and oftentimes they give me nice perks, which I love. Oh wow! Like a glass of wine and maybe even a first-class seat. <laughs> Outstanding! <laughs> so anyway, no, they're they're that um, yeah, that they, they seem to be a predominant group that I hear from. Okay. One last. Uh,
1: question. Mm-hmm. You're now the chairwoman of the Miss America Board of Directors. Mm-hmm. What's your vision for that organization?
2: Oh, wow. Where do I start? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, I'm the first chairwoman ever mm-hmm. um, of this iconic almost 100-year tradition. Right. Uh, so we have a lot of tradition to uphold, but we also have a lot of changes to make. Mm-hmm. And um, just rest assured, I can't really divulge what we're planning to do yet, but pay attention for next fall. And just know that uh, if I if I decided to bring my Be Fierce movement to the organization, that um, when I'm done, the entire thing will be about empowerment and leadership uh, for our young women across this country. Standing, I love that. Thank you. And I can't wait to see it more. And now,
1: let me say, Gretchen, on behalf of women everywhere, thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: Thank you for seizing the moment. Carpe diem, as mm-hmm. you said, your motto is, mm-hmm. for standing up, for taking the bullet. You're a hero in so many ways. So to close us out, and I'm sorry I'm getting emotional here, but we so appreciate you. Could you please read for me one of your quotes, one of my favorite quotes from
2: Be Fierce? Sure. But now there's a loud rumbling in the culture, a sense that it's time to stand up and turn the floodlights on the injustice women often suffer by being objectified, made to feel like victims, forced to settle for less, and expected to tolerate being ignored, unheard, and marginalized. Together, we can end the harassment if we decide we're not going to take it anymore. We will not be silenced by the ways of the establishment or power. We will tell the truth. We will be fierce. Awesome. Thank you, Gretchen. Thanks. Well, there you have it.
1: And if you're a talent, HR, or business leader, now you need to decide what to do about it. Gretchen has given us some very practical ideas to make real change. I'd like to challenge all of us to consider taking just one of these ideas and carrying it forward. Are we as courageous as Gretchen is? I'd like to think so. After all, courage is contagious. Why not be fierce? The alternative is just not an option anymore. Thanks for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ere.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at e p e t e r s o n at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.